We're still in a, a series. We're talking about love. We've been talking about that, and I thought, you know what, Easter, the Easter message, it's about love. So we're going to stay in our series. We're going to keep going. We're not doing anything fancy except this wonderful sunrise service, and uh, this is as fancy as we get. But uh, we've been talking about love, and here's what we're talking about. So if you haven't been here, I want to catch you up because our website, we've been having some problems with our website. So if you've tried to get caught up on some of the messages, um, we're still working on that uh, website problem that we're having. And um, so, but here's what we've been talking about. When we say, or when you hear someone tell you God loves you, or when you understand, hey, you know, I know God loves me, and you say that, here's what usually happens with us. We take love, and we think of love the way we think of it on this earth. So human love, it's, it's real, but it's not deep. Human love, as soon as you mess up, human love is gone. As soon as you struggle, human love is gone. It's, you know, human love is I love you as long as you love me. That's human love. I love you as long as things go on right. I love you. And you know what? That's how we as humans tend to live our life sometimes. And if it's not you, then it's probably the person next to you. But somebody, there's all of us as humans have tendencies to love that way. And we've seen love that way. That's how we see love on this earth. It's amazing because we even do it in our walk with God. Oh, I love you, God, as long as you, you know, take care of me and do this and do this and do this. And we have to make sure that we don't take what we think as love and then put God's name in front of it and define God's love that way. Because God's love is different. So we, when we talk about God's love, this is where we've been on all, all year. We started our our year out in January, talking about our vision of embrace, encourage, equip, and empower, but we talked about how God embraces us, how God encourages us. It's all about his love for us. And as we begin to look at God's love and what it looks like, we begin to realize sometimes the reason we struggle knowing God loves us is because we think love is how we see it on the earth. So we think if we mess up, God pulls away from us because that's what humans do. That's what, that's what our family does. That's what our friends do. You know, if we struggle, oh, yep, pull back. If, if, if you don't respond the right way, sometimes we, we, we love as long as everything's right. God loves even when you mess up. That's what we talked about. His love doesn't change. It's a different kind of love. It's an unconditional, it's an agape love that's not based on anything that you do. It's based on what First John says, that God is love. Not God has it, he is love. So everything God does comes out of love. All of it. Everything he does comes out of love. Even when the Bible talks about he chastises or he corrects us or disciplines us, that comes out of love. That means he instructs us. He helps us find the right way. He leads us to good things. The Bible talks about as sheep. He leads us into good pasture. He's a good, loving father. And that's what we're talking about. So we talk about God's love. We have to understand we can't put God's name on love that we know. We need to put love on God's name. In other words, love is defined by God. God is not defined by what we think love is. So we have to look at it different. Human love is selfish. God's love is sacrificial. It's, it's about you. Human love loves, but it needs it in return. God loves you no matter what you gave to him or didn't give to him. God's love, he loves you to bless you. Other love is for selfish motives. 
And, and that's, that's the human side of it. And that's why we have to look at this thing with love and realize it's completely different. It's completely different. I grew up knowing God loves me. I heard that all my life. I grew up in church. But do you know it wasn't until recently that I began to understand my definition of love was messed up? So I realized when I'm saying God loves me, I'm looking at love the way I always thought love was. And it's different. God's love is different. And that's why we talked about we need a revelation of God's love. And that's what we've been talking about. So when you look at the scriptures, they look at John 15, 12, and 13. And this is where we're going to get into the, what takes place even as we're celebrating Easter today. John 15, verses 12 and 13. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for his friend. That's great love. If you read on in this passage, it says that Jesus calls us his friends. In other words, Jesus laid down his life for you. God sent his son because what? God so loved. Okay, let's all say it. God so right. God so loved the world that he gave. God's love is demonstrated when Jesus came. Jesus is loving. He's coming here out of love for you and love for me as his friends. And he lays down his life for us. And we're going to look at this. And I was, I was studying this week, and I was, I was like, Lord, I don't want to just do an Easter message. Because this is something, just like Christmas, we should be celebrating this all of the time. Because this one thing that we're celebrating is the only way we have eternal life. Jesus' death and resurrection is what's given us eternal life. This should be something we celebrate all the time. It's, I mean, yes, I know it's this day that we kind of celebrate it and we get all dressed up. Hey, Easter, You know, and it's all exciting. But you know what? It's just it's another day of what Jesus did that we walk in health and life and strength and hope and all the stuff that God promises us. That's what it's, that's what it's all about. It's still about his love for us. So I was studying and I was looking and I was like, God... I'm seeing your love everywhere. And why am I seeing it so much is because that's our focus. If you've been with us this year, that's our focus. This year, we are focusing on God's love. How many of you are loved by God? Raise your hand. Now, how many of you have heard that you were loved by God all of your life, but you didn't quite understand and we're getting more of a revelation. That's what we're getting, more of a revelation of God really loves me. I mean, it's one thing to just hear someone say they love you. It's another thing when you really know it. And I'm getting more of a revelation that God really loves me. Like my picture really is on his refrigerator. I mean, I know it. There's got to be a refrigerator in heaven because there's got to be food in heaven. Because, right, don't you agree? Yeah, yeah. Got to eat. Well, maybe we don't. I don't know. But I hope there's food. All right. Now look at Philippians 2, 5 through 11. This is Paul, and he's talking about having the same attitude that Christ had. But let's look at Jesus here. Go to verse 6. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form... He humbled himself in obedience to God. So here he is humbling himself out of obedience to God because God sent him because he loves us. And he died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to a place of highest honor and gave him the name 
above all other names, and at that name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Here's the thing. Jesus came, and he took this humble place, and he came. But here's what I want you to get at this. He came out of obedience to God, and he died a criminal's death. Was Jesus a criminal? Did Jesus ever sin? But he was treated like one, and he died like one. Why? Because we were. So he took our place, and he died. Now, these are some things that took place when Jesus was on the cross. And we're going to hit a few things that happened while Jesus was on the cross that I haven't seen as clearly and there's still more, I'm sure, but I haven't seen this clearly until even just recently begin to just look at this Easter story and read it through the different Gospels and think, wow, Jesus is constantly demonstrating the love of God for us. So let's look at this first one. Let's go to Luke 23, verse 32 through 34. When, he's on the, when, he's, when they're heading to the uh, crucifixion, there's two others. Both of them were criminals, and they were led out to be executed with Jesus. Okay, so they're at, they were executed with him. Now, verse, verse 33. When they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him, Jesus, to the cross, and the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. Verse 35. Oh, no, let's just leave it there. That's good. All right. Now, listen to what he says in verse 34. Jesus said, Father, these are words of Jesus on the cross. Let me, let me tell you what's happening up to now. He has been betrayed by one of his disciples. He has been, that one of his disciples completely denied him. The rest all deserted him. Okay, you want to talk about your friends being there? Gone. The crowd that used to follow him and pursue him were now crying out, crucify him. So he's been turned on by everybody around him. Now he's being nailed. He's having spikes driven through his hands and his feet. He's been mocked. He's been spit on. He's had his back ripped open with a whip. And he's innocent of any wrongdoing. And they nail him to the cross. And when they put him up on the cross, here's what Jesus says. Out of all of his pain and all of his agony... This is where the love of the Father flows through Jesus. And Jesus says to the people who deserted him, the people who left him, the people who denied him, the people who mocked him, the people who shamed him, the people who did all of this, and the very people who drove nails in his hands. And he says, Father, will you forgive them? They don't know what they're doing. Listen, I consider myself a spiritual person. I try to be like Jesus, but if I put myself in that place, I can't promise you if you were to come up here and start hitting me, calling me names, nailing my hand to some post, I can't promise you I'm going to offer forgiveness at that moment. I might swing my other hand around before you get that, that one nailed down. I mean, I can't promise you that I wouldn't be angry, that I wouldn't have uh, some words to tell these people, you just wait, you see what's coming for you. 
or trying to defend myself because I didn't do anything wrong. Yet Jesus says, Father, will you forgive them? See, I've heard that preached as a great forgiveness message. But can I tell you about what's behind forgiveness? Is love. Love forgives. And Jesus is demonstrating on the cross. After all he went through and the pain he's still in. Let me tell you these things that he says. Listen, when the way crucifixion is and the way you are, your arms are spread out like this and you're hanging like this. Anytime you have to get a breath, you have to kind of push up, which puts more weight on this nail, this spike that's driven in your feet. And every time Jesus talks, he's got to do that. So even in pain, he's saying, Father, just forgive them. That's the love of God. That tells me that my God loves me. And when I struggle and when I mess up, he loves me. And he's there to forgive me and he's there to comfort me and he's there to help me. And that's the God that we serve. If, you, if you're here, I hope you leave today knowing, man, I'm loved. I've missed it. And sometimes in my own way, it's almost like I, I don't care. When I, some of the decisions I make in my life, it's almost like I'm saying to Jesus, it doesn't matter. I want to do what I want to do. And, and, and he still loves you. He still loves you. He, he offers forgiveness for you. He's, he's paid the price for you. That's, that's, that is, that's amazing love. The soldiers are down gambling for his clothes. They're, they're throwing dice trying to get his clothes. And you know what? I'm like, they don't have any clue what's happening. They don't, they don't fully understand the message of love that this one day, this one moment, it's going to change the history of the world. And they're not aware. But here's Jesus. To the very people that hurt him. The very people that, that, that come after him. And that are bringing pain to him. He's saying, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. Look at, uh, let's go to uh, Luke 23. Look at verse 35 through 43. Here's another thing that he says. The crowds watched. The leaders scoffed. He saved others. They said, let him save himself if he's really God, God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him by offering a, sour, a drink of sour wine to him. They called out, if you're king of the Jews, save yourself. A sign was fastened above him with these words, this is the king of the Jews. And that wasn't done in this great way of, hey, this, that was done as a mock, mockery. That's how that was done. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, aren't you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? He's talking to the other criminal. We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. And then Jesus says this. He says to Jesus, remember me when you, when, when you come into your kingdom. And, he, and here's what Jesus says. I assure you, today, you will be with me in paradise. Jesus is on the cross. These two thieves are having a conversation. And the one thief just says, will you just remember me in your kingdom? Just, at least just remember me. 
because he recognized that he was Jesus, that he wasn't guilty of any, any crime and any sin. And he recognized who Jesus was. And at that recognition of Jesus, Jesus said to him, today, you'll be with me in paradise. Listen to me. That guy lived a life of wickedness and evil and crime. He was a thief and he was being punished. And Jesus looked past all of that because when he looked to Jesus, Jesus said, today, without this, you know, you got to make up some, you got to get some good stuff going with all this bad you've done. You got to make some stuff up. You owe me. No, he said, you know what? That's all it takes. That's all it takes is just surrendering to me. Not only will I remember you, but you're going to be with me. I don't have to remember you here. I'll remember you because you're going to be with me. That's, that's the love of God. And you heard the, the, other, the other thief and the people that were mocking him saying, save yourself. If you're the Messiah, save yourself. You want me to tell you why Jesus didn't save himself? Because he didn't come to save himself. He came to save you. He didn't have to be saved from anything. You did. So he's like, he, he was, basically what he's saying is, I'm not here for me. I'm here for you. I'm not here to save me. I'm here to save you. Luke 19.10 says Jesus came to seek and save the lost. That's us. That was us. We've been found. We're saved. But that's what Jesus came. He came to, to save us. And he gives us hope. So he's loving. He's forgiving. He's merciful. God is a merciful God. And that mercy flows out of his love. Let's look at the next thing. This one was kind of different. Like I never really thought about this one, but it's pretty cool. John 19, verse 25 through 27. Standing near the cross, this one Jesus is up on the cross, and near the cross is Jesus' mother and his mother's sister, Mary, and Mary Magdalene. Whew. When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, Dear woman, here is your son, referring to John, the disciple. And he said to the disciple, here is your mother. And from then on, the disciple took her into his home. Before I, basically the part we're going to talk about here is, is God's love and concern for others when he's on the cross. He sees his mom. And, and he wants his mom to be taken care of. So he says, Mom, there's your son. Hey, John, there's your mom. And, and he knew because he took her on. He took her in. But imagine Mary. I thought this would be the easiest one. Imagine Mary. Look at what Luke 2.35 says when they prophesied about Mary and about Jesus. And it says, as a result of this, this is a prophecy to Mary. 
The deepest thought of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. Referring to Jesus dying. This was a prophecy to Mary when she was talking about the when they were talking about the birth of Jesus. Saying that the day's coming when this Messiah is going to pay a price and it's going to pierce your soul. And I don't know how many moms are in the room or dads, but Mary watched this torture and this pain of her son. She watched it. She saw him. She saw him up there almost unrecognizable. She saw blood dropping down from the cross. She saw him gasping for air every time he tried to say something. Mom, there's your son. Son, there's your mom. If we don't see love there, most of the time we go through something bad, we could care less what anybody else is feeling. We're in pain. Jesus says, yeah, he's in pain, but he sees the pain of someone else. And his love went beyond his pain. And his love reached out to the pain that his mom was feeling. Basically just, hey, will you will y'all take care of each other? John, will you look after my mom? That's love. That's love. We don't I'm telling you, some of this, I'm like, man, I I see all these great things on the cross, but I never saw how much love Jesus showed on his worst painful day. It's one thing to think about that when you're doing fine. When you're bleeding out and you've been beat so bad and you're literally hanging by spikes and all your weight's on there and you're still thinking of others. That's the love of God flowing through Jesus. That's what that is. It's amazing to me how much God loves us. The next one is Matthew 27, 35 through 46. After they nailed him to the cross, a soldier gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. Then they sat around and kept, a, and kept guard as he hung there. A sign was fastened above saying, this is the king of the Jews. <clears throat> two revolutionaries or criminals, these are two different gospels that are, that are writing this. So it's the same thing kind of. But we're crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. The people passing shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well, then, if you're the son of God, save yourself. Once again, he did not come to save himself. The leading priests, the teachers of the religious law, and the elders mocked Jesus. He saved others. They scoffed, but he can't save himself. So is he the king of Israel? Is he? Let him come down on the cross right now. We will believe in him. He trusted God. So let God rescue him now if he wants, for he said, I am the son of God. Even the revolutionary who was crucified with him ridiculed him in the same way. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. About 3 o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice that phrase, 
which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And I want to tell you something. God's love didn't leave Jesus. But Jesus just carried all of our sin. It's on him. And at that moment, of all, think about, look at Isaiah 53. I want you to read with me Isaiah 53. I'm going to read verses 3 through 5. This is what it says about Jesus. He was despised and he was rejected. He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and we looked the other way. He was despised. We didn't care. Listen to this. Yet it was whose weakness? Ours. That he carried. He's carrying it. Okay, he's carrying our stuff. It was our sorrows that did what? It weighted him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sin. No, he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins, beaten so we could be whole, and whipped so we could be healed. And Jesus is carrying all of this in this place where all of a sudden he knows he's got to go through with this. And this is probably, probably one of the most agonizing times on the cross for him. Probably one of the most difficult moments. Not just the excruciating pain, but the amount of weight and, and, and pain internal feeling crushed for our sorrows, our weaknesses, our rebellion. It's all on him. And in Isaiah 53, if you keep reading, it actually says that it it pleased the Lord to see that. It pleased the Lord to see Jesus go through that, but it didn't please him in the sense of, oh, my goodness. Because I can imagine the pain that, that he was feeling as a father, but at the same time knowing this is the only way, but the end result's going to be good, but right now it's tough. And Jesus, Jesus actually showed a place of pain and a place of feeling, feeling abandoned is the word he used, forsaken. Because of all the stuff he's carrying, it's almost like it's all, it's weighted him down and it's now the separation of sin because sin separated us from God. That's what happened in the garden. It separated and it severed that, it hurt that relationship. And now he's carrying it all. So it's, it's, it's different now in the relationship with his father because he's got all this sin that he's carrying. And he's feeling this weight and he's feeling this abandonment and he's feeling this hopelessness because he had to feel it or we would. So he took it. He took it on himself, and he cries out in this pain, in this honesty, which love is honest. And he, and, and he, and he says this, and this is a, some scriptures I want you to look at. First Peter 2, 21 through 24, God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He's your example. You must follow his steps. He never sinned nor deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted. He didn't threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. But here's what he went through. <clears throat> says this, he personally, Jesus by himself, he carried our sins in his body 
on the cross so that we could be dead to sin and live for what is right. And by his wounds, we are healed. Jesus took all of that, took all of that for us. Look at, look at 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For God made Christ, listen to this, God who loves you, he made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for ours so that we could be made right through God, right with God through Christ. One translation says, God who knew no sin, Jesus who knew no sin became sin so we could be right with God or so we could be the righteousness of God. In other words, because of Jesus, now we don't see ourselves as just some pathetic sinner. We still sin, we still struggle, we still miss the mark. But in Jesus' eyes, because of Jesus, we are righteous in him. In other words, when God sees us, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. Do we still mess up? Are we still real? Are we still human? Yes, righteous people fall, but they get back up. But our identity is no longer in a sinful, wicked person. Our identity now is in the righteousness of Jesus because of the price that was paid for us. And we can stand before a God righteous because of Jesus. Because there was a, a price that had to be paid. The wages of sin is death. It had to be paid. It had to. You could not get rid of sin except by death. You couldn't pay for it except by death. That's how much it cost. And Jesus said, I got your bill. I'll cover this for you. And once and for all, he paid it. Revelation 1 says now he has the keys of hell and of death. Jesus has it. He paid it. So you don't ever have to spiritually die at all. Your physical body will, but that's not even you. That's just that's what holds you all together. But you will live forever, eternal life, life without death. That's what you have because of Jesus. But Jesus had to take all of that on him, and it was a lot to take. And it was more than just the physical pain he, he suffered. It was the emotional pain he suffered. The weight that he carried that was ours that he took. Why? Because he loves you. Because he loves you. That's why he went through it. Because he loves you. As heavy as it was, as burdensome as it was at the time, with all that he was feeling. Remember when he was praying in the garden, he said, if this cup of suffering could pass for me, this is the cup of suffering he's feeling right now on the cross that he was talking about earlier. There's any ways or another way, but he said, it's, it's your will that I want. I want to do what you want me to do. That's what he said, and, and that's what he goes. And then these last two, I'll kind of put these together. Uh, but the last one, John 19, verse 28 through 30. Jesus knew his mission was now finished. To fulfill the scripture, he said, I am thirsty. There's a scripture about, about this drink that he would take, this being thirsty. And it says a jar of sour wine was sitting there. So they soaked a sponge in it, putting a hyssop branch, held it up to his lips. But then here's what, this is what I want to talk about, what Jesus said. When Jesus had tasted it, he said this, it is finished. Basically, after all of the pain, after all of the hurt, after all of the stuff, he's basically saying, I did it. 
I did it. Because remember when he was on the earth and he said, I, I come to do what my father wants me to do. I say what my father tells me to say. I do what my father tells me to do. And God sent Jesus with the plan to save us. And Jesus said, I did it. I did it. And then the next one is in Luke 23. And it's basically where he says, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. Then he stopped breathing. He did it. That's what death was paid for at that moment. At that moment. Your eternal life start. The hope for you happened at that last breath. At that last bit of air that came out of his body. Was the very, very hope that we celebrate today. Was that he, he, he paid it. He paid it. Death has been paid. The wages of sin is death. And Jesus, because of his love for you, said, I got this for you. I got it for you. I got it. And he paid it. And you know what? One translation, the way it words it, if you study it out, the Greek word there, another way to say it is paid in full. You know what that means? Look at me. You owe nothing. For your sin. You owe nothing. Jesus paid it all. He paid everything for you. You want to talk about love? You want to talk about the love of God? That's the love of God that is forgiving. That is merciful. That thinks of you even in the worst of times for him. He's still thinking of other people. You're on God's mind. He loves you. And he's honest. And, and he, he went through all of this for you. And then he completed the work. And he breathed it. And he paid for it once and for all. So you don't have to pay for it. And that's what we celebrate. And here's what the Bible says when it talks about uh, him breathing his last. Look at Matthew 27, starting in verse 50. Jesus shouted out again, and he released his spirit. And at that moment that Jesus took his last breath, at that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple, there was a, in the temple in the Old Testament, the priest would go in and offer a sacrifice once a year. They were the only ones allowed in there. No one was allowed in there. That's where the presence of God was. No one else was allowed in there. Only the priest went in there to offer sacrifices. And so that very place that separated the presence of God from just ordinary people, as soon as that death happened, at that moment, the curtain was torn in two from the top to the bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split apart, and tombs opened. The bodies of many godly men and women who had died were raised from the death. There was more than one miracle that day, by the way. You see this? This Matthew's talking about, he's like, hey, there was more. There was, these, there was bodies of godly men and women that rose up out of the grave. And it says that they went to the Holy City, they went to the Jerusalem, but that was after Jesus resurrected. They went. Could you imagine? There's not a whole lot of talk about that, but that's the power. That's another miraculous power that took place that day. All because of Jesus. 
Let's go to verse 54. The Roman officer and other soldiers of crucifixion were terrified by the earthquakes and all that happened, and they said this, this man truly was the Son of God. Everything we wondered and doubted, we just saw lived out for us. Listen to what we saw lived out. It wasn't just because of earthquakes. It was because here's a guy that they think he's, he's, he's mocking. He's going to pay this. They make fun of him. They're questioning. They wouldn't say that unless they thought he wasn't. They're doing all this, and all of a sudden they see a, a, they see a, they see a man on the cross who is extending forgiveness, who is extending mercy, who's making sure his family's taken care of, who has just carried the weight of everyone's sorrow and pressure and punishment and all that stuff on himself. And he fulfills the plan. At any moment, he could have done anything. He could call these angels down. He could have done whatever. He didn't do any of that. He just stayed the course, and he finished it. And then what it, when, if you read a couple of the Gospels, it says that usually at the time when, they, when it starts to get dark or whatever, they want to go ahead and speed up the process of the criminals and people dying, that they break their legs so then they can't push up for air anymore, and that's how they die. And they did that to both the criminals. They went and they broke their legs. But it says when they got to Jesus, they didn't do it. Why? Because he gave up his life. They didn't take it. He gave it. He released it. After he finished it all, he conquered death. Now, the cool thing is, John 20 talks about this. If we go to verse 1. I don't want to leave it on that. I want to tell you what happens real quick after that. Early on Sunday morning. I know early, but to me it could have been 10 a.m. It was still dark. Well, okay, it wasn't 10. Mary came out to the tomb and found the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter, the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. By the way, the one who Jesus loved was John. That's what it's referring to here. I mean, he loved them all, but. When you, when you see that in John, guess who wrote this book? John. What is that? And the one who Jesus loved. Ha, me. Isn't that amazing? That he refers to himself several times in his gospel that he writes as the disciple that Jesus loved. When Jesus was old and he saw Mary, and it says Mary and the disciple Jesus loved, John. So he's, he's there. He was there through this. That's one reason why I think he wrote this. Because he was there. I don't know why that just stood out to me like right now. Welcome to my new revelation. Here's John. You know why John can say that and not the others? Because they weren't. John was there. And John said, ha, he loves me. Dadgummit, he loves me. That's my place. That's my sin. That's my struggle. That's my hurt. And he loves me. That should have been me. But Jesus substituted himself for me. I think that's why John knew that. Because he saw it. He saw love demonstrated. So here's what happens. She said, they've taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. Peter and the other disciples started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter. So here's John again saying, I'm faster than Peter, by the way. <laughs> right? Come on, John. What's up with that? I don't have a spiritual revelation for that one. And he's just like, 
So me and Peter were running, and by the way, I beat him. Um, but he went in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but, but didn't go in. Simon Peter arrived inside, and he noticed the wrappings lying there. While the cloth had covered, Jesus' head was folded up, lying, lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciples who reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood Scripture that Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stopped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head, the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying, the angels asked her. Because they've taken away my Lord, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. She turned to, <laughs> she turned to leave, and she saw someone standing there. Look at the next three words. It was Jesus. Why well, I stuck my tongue out, I don't know. It was Jesus. It was Jesus. The grave didn't hold him. He conquered it. So he went, he conquered death. He conquered it. And here he is now. She didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying, Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, please tell me where you have put him, and I'll go and get him. Mary, Jesus said, and then she turned to him, and she cried out, Rabbi I, which is Hebrew for teacher. In other words, she recognized him, and she realized, here he is. And Jesus said, don't cling to me. Personal space, personal space. I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go find my brothers and tell them I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Here's the greatest thing about this story. Is all that you see through the crucifixion was a demonstration of the love of God. That not only paid the price, but overcame it. So now you can have victory because Jesus paid the price of death. He died. And he rose again, fully conquering it. So now you and I, we can have life. And we can have life way more abundant than any kind of life we've ever experienced. Way more.